Welcome to 50 Words for Murder, where we delve into the stories behind the headlines. I'm your host, Justin, and today I have a very special guest with me, Pascal from The Pascal Show. He and I are, are mutuals, and we've become friends over the time as well. And I think you guys are going to love him on the show, and I will let him introduce himself and what he does. All right. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your boy, Pascal. I host a talk show on YouTube called The Pascal Show. You can go check me out at youtube.com forward slash The Pascal Show. We talk about everything over there, everything from true crime to pop culture to politics even. Just depends on what's trending during the month, during the week, or during the day. So I'm just another storyteller, just like Justin. And uh, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it, bro. No, absolutely. Thanks for being here. And I will drop a link to his channel on YouTube if you want to follow him in the description of the podcast. But you know what? Since you're the special guest today, why don't you introduce our topic? Ooh, okay. We're going to have some fun if today, you want. Guys. Yeah, why not? I'm honored. Thank you. Okay, so we're going to have some fun today, guys. We're going to be talking about a huge case that is still going on right now. Actually, they are moving the trial because everybody was ready for it in October But they're going to be moving this trial, so that gives a lot more people to catch up and find out what's going on. And this case that I'm talking about is the Idaho for murders with Brian Koberger as the main suspect that they have. And he is fighting for his life right now. And if you don't know about the Idaho for murders, four individuals, four college students lost their lives inside of a a house off campus, right off campus of the University of Idaho. And on November 13th, in the early hours of November 13th, they all lost their lives. Now, there's a bunch of breadcrumbs that lead us to how Brian Koberger is connected to this horrifying, unbelievable murder, murders. And that's what we're here for, to talk about it all and break it all the way down. So... Yeah, Justin, this yeah. is this is a crazy one, guys. This is absolutely crazy, and it's thicker than a snicker. So let's go. It is. It is. It is an insane case, and there are lots of moving parts to it. and And if you don't know about it, he gave you a nice summary on it. But we are going to delve more into it, and so yeah. you will be fully caught up, and uh, you can make your inferences on if you think he's guilty or not. And I will just say, if you think that he is not guilty, then you're probably not correct. But anyway, sorry, I probably shouldn't say that. But anyway, so, it, it is a hail mary if you think he's not guilty. It is, and, and we'll talk about and we'll talk about why. And yes, I, technically, it, for the sake of legal legalities, he is he is a suspect. He is accused. He is innocent until proven guilty. But, Facts. But when we talk about this, you can you can see why we come to the summarization that we have. Yes. Right? Yes. Everything's alleged. Okay, guys. <laughs> everything is everything is alleged. <laughs> <laughs> from from here on, from here on out, it's alleged. Yes. <laughs> anyway, so as as Pascal said, early morning hours, November thirteenth, four Idaho students: Maddie Mogan, Xander Canodal, Ethan Chapin, and Kaylee Gonzalez were all murdered. Mm-hmm. It happened within what a 15, 20 minute period. They suspect. Yeah, like, it was pretty quick. It was quick. Yeah, they said something about, and it, of course, the number has changed, is wavered. But yeah, you could basically say around twelve minutes to twenty minutes or so. Still, no matter what, lickety split, lightning fast, which we will talk about that in a little bit as well, about the time. Or, and we, we will, we will. And so there are also two survivors in the home, two other roommates. Yes. And I think for the sake of this, because so many people like to, without knowing all the facts, accuse people of being part of things, let's leave their names out of it because they are also victims and uh, survivors. Unless you, unless you feel differently, 
No, 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 no. That's, I mean, that's totally fine with me as well. That's totally fine. But I know that everybody and their mama know their names already. If you're, if they're, if well, you're following well, this Peter. case, you definitely know Peter. their names already. But I do Peter. understand trying to be respectful. But uh, <laughs> it's their names are out there, guys. They are. So I leave that up to you, my brother. All right. Well, we'll we'll see how we go as we continue on with this. Sure. But here's what, one thing that I want to bring out. I want I just want to start right out the gate with this. Shoot. He came in, like we said, 12, 20 minutes is kind of the, the roundabout time. This was a weird house, guys. In Moscow, Idaho, three-story home, six bedrooms, but the layout of this house was weird. So in my opinion, in order for him to have gotten through, or whoever this was who have gotten through and murdered these four women, and well, three women and one young man, they had to have been in that house before. They had to know the layout and they had to know where they were going, especially if the people were targeted, which again, they left two survivors so it's very possible that they were, and we can we can talk about that. And I think that it's also important to note that, again, this happened November 13th, 2022, but there had not been a murder in Moscow, Idaho, since 2015 before this happened. So a long, long time. Yes. And just to paint an idea, too, Moscow, Idaho is a very small town. Let's not forget that, too. So imagine a murder of this magnitude, of how gruesome this actual murder was in this small town. And then on top of it, it's been so long since there was any type of murder is pretty shocking, nonetheless, for this town as well. Yeah, it went, it went zero to 150 real quick. Oh. And I know it's usually zero to 100, but this one this went past the 100 mark. So. Okay, Drake. Okay, Drake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, so one thing else I think that's important to note is that Kaylee had actually moved out of the house at this point. She was getting ready to graduate. The only reason that she was there is her and Maddie Mogan were best friends. Kaylee had just bought a car, um, Range Rover, and wanted to show it to her friend. So she was overstaying the night. And she was actually in in Maddie's room that night because her room, I guess, was probably being packed up or, or whatever the case is. And she brought her dog who, I will tell you now, if you don't know already, the dog, Murphy, was unharmed. I know people get really upset about animals getting harmed. And Ethan Chapin was Xana's boyfriend. He did not live at the residence, but he was staying over that evening or that night, morning, yes. whatever it was. Because they got home late. They were, you know, they're college kids. They were out partying before. Yes. Gonzalez and Mogan were coming back home around 1.45 a.m. So they didn't get home. I mean, all of them kind of got home around that same time, but they were also up for a very long time as well. It seems like there were, uh, some people were eating food. Some people were just kind of talking, doing whatever they were doing and just trying to get some rest or getting ready to go to sleep because the actual murders didn't start until between 4 a.m. and 4.25 a.m. as well. So they were up for a while before the murders took place. They were. And I think we know that based on forensic data, however they figured out that Xana was actually on TikTok at the time of her death. Yes. Or right before, you know, she, you know, she was, her life was taken. And, Zana and Ethan were actually at an on-campus party nearby at the Sigma Chi fraternity who Ethan was a member of. You know, they returned like, like you just said, 1.45 a.m. And then Maddie and Kaylee had gone to the Corner Club, which is a downtown sports bar in Moscow, Idaho. And they came back or left that area around 1.30 a.m. They did, there was a live stream video on Twitch from a food truck that was there. Yes. That, you know, saw them alive. And, and I, I think that we table all the, the rumors and speculation of that as well as a few other 
other things until we get a little bit more into this. But there was yeah. a lot of speculation around the food truck and, and a lot of people being accused and blamed for things the, that they... Yeah. The infamous grub truck video. Let, let's keep it real. I mean, how many of us all were, you know, if, if you've been knowing of this, this case, how many of us were watching that video, bits and pieces of it, you know, zooming in, going back, reversing it, seeing how many people these two girls were actually talking to and interacting with throughout the entire time that they were there. I mean, these, the speculations were running rampant during that time. Specifically, I mean, this is the last place these two girls went to before they went into their home, before the murders. So there was a lot of dissecting on that footage. And uh, yeah, we, we could definitely come back and talk about that in a little bit for sure. Yeah, I think that we, we have to have a whole segment probably of yeah. this. That's just the rumors and we'll dispel some of that. So after they left the food truck, they got they got their food and then they got into... Originally, it was reported as an Uber. Then it was changed to private party by the police. But we can assume a ride sharing service. And it was about a little over a mile away, give or take, um, from where they were back home. And so all four of these students, all four of these, these victims were back in that house by 1.56 a.m. Now, that leads us on to the phone calls. So, and I think that this is going to get a little interesting for discussion purposes. You remember the phone calls, right? That Kaylee had made to her former longtime boyfriend who was also a fellow student, and they were made between 2.26 a.m. and 2.52 a.m. Mm -hmm. And then Maddie also called Kaylee's former boyfriend three times with similar results. And he, I mean, it was all missed calls, right? Oh. Every one of them. So why do we think, okay... So do we think that this was, guys, it's all speculation here. We're, we're just speculating right here because we don't know the facts of this particular thing, but you guys can infer what you want. Do you think that this was more of a drunk dial type thing or do you think this was a somebody's in the house and we're worried kind of thing? No, I think it was a booty call. I'm, I'm sorry to say it like that, but let's keep it real. These are college students. It's college. It is a weekend night. They are, have just gotten done going out drinking having a grand old time. I, I mean, I hate to say it like that. Of course, may they rest in peace. And I want them to get as much justice as anybody else. But let's keep it real. Why would they be calling? Why would she be calling her ex that she recently broke up with at that particular time of night? There's only two options. Either she was calling because she didn't know who else to call because she was scared and because something was going down in that house or she was drunk and she was looking for a late night hookup. That's the only other thing I can think of. And I'm leaning more on the side of she was trying to get a hookup. I mean, I kind of, I tend to agree with you. But, yeah. you know, that's been one of the things that people talked about was, was she calling him because, you know, she was scared. You know, I, my personal opinion is I don't think that Brian Koberger or whoever, for legal purposes, was like lurking in a closet somewhere in this. In, in this. I just don't believe that. I can't. No, I was going to say, not with what the affidavit says and the car circling around and all that. I mean, if he was inside that house at that time, then their time, the investigations, documents, and all the stuff that they have would be off if he was hiding in the closet during that time. So, and I got notes here, so I'm, I'm going to tell, I'm reading off notes, but we're going to stop yeah. part of this because I think that there's a good discussion here too. But the two surviving roommates returned home by 1 a.m. And original reports stated that both surviving roommates were in their bed beds on the ground floor at the time of the killings. They were not attacked, they were not held hostage, and that neither one of them woke up for the killings. Now, one of those roommates 
did sleep on the second floor, the same floor mm-hmm. that Zana and Ethan were on. And she did wake up at one point from, I believe what she said, what I think she saw, she heard the dog or, or she heard something. Then she later heard her roommate saying something to the effect of there's someone here. Mm-hmm. She believes that Kaylee's the one that said that. Although investigators believe that it could have been Zana saying that as a, again, the forensic download showed that she was on TikTok at 4.12 a.m. when this happened. So 4.12 a.m. you were talking about this is right when everything is either has gone, maybe even gone down in part of the house or about to go down further. So here's why I want to stop there for a minute. And this is going to go into the rumors a little bit because a lot of people have said, well, how did these roommates not know? Mm. How did they not know that something was going, going on? And I mean, I have thoughts on it. I'm sure you do too. And, and I'll start off by saying that, first of all, you have a college house that's known as a party house. And mm-hmm. we also, and I think it's also important to note that that one of the roommates came face to face with Koberger. He was coming down the stairs, wearing what's described to be like a like a COVID style mask. People hear mask, I think ski mask, but no, like a COVID style mask, dressed all dark. It is winter. It wouldn't have been uncommon then to see to still be seeing masks on somebody. Yeah. On top of that, it was a party house, so people coming in and out. And again, just because you live with somebody doesn't mean you're friends with them. You could have a roommate that nice. was set up, and I believe that was part of it. That's why they weren't out together they were out doing their own thing 1 a.m right doing whatever right. they were whatever they were doing wherever they were come home and said they might not know the friends of the other people that are there and so to me that to me doesn't really say anything on top of that these murders y'all happen so quickly that you might not have heard screaming or what you might have heard for a second might have you might have thought was you know having fun or, or whatever the case is making noises or same thing with Zana and Ethan you know you don't know especially if you only hear it for you know a moment but she, it was enough for her to open the door and Koberger or whoever the assailant was walked, walked right past them. You know, the, the big thing that I want to talk about here, which is what we're talking about, which is it's very plausible that they didn't hear a thing. And that's why they didn't wake up. Yeah. I mean, it, it, there's so many different stories to this because I've heard so many different ones where you have one of the surviving roommates coming face to face with this assailant or with somebody that had bushy eyebrows. He had a, a, a Rona mask on, was wearing all black. But the funny thing is, is they say one story or one report is saying that he was descending from the stairs, leaving Maddie and, and Kaylee, leaving their room, going coming downstairs to the second floor. There was another story saying that he was coming from Ethan and Zana's, or at least Zana's bedroom, walking across and then going out the slotted glass door. Then there's another one, but this is all rumors, guys, because there's no confirmation of this, but they say a naked dude was running out the sliding glass door. I hadn't heard that one. Yeah, it's it's, it's crazy. The rumor mill has been going off the rails with this particular case. So you don't know what is absolutely 100% true and what's not, because even the probable cause affidavit says certain things that later revealed that wasn't the full description or the full truth of what they what they have. So when it comes to the surviving roommate that allegedly ran into him, there is a lot of questions because in some reports there are, it is said that this particular surviving roommate was very vocal a couple times. She got up, was telling him to, to knock it off, keep it down. She was trying to go to sleep. I think it was about two different times she tried to do that on the second time she went to the door and that's when she saw allegedly a man with bushy eyebrows decked in all black and a COVID mask walking right past her. 
She was in a frozen shock phase, as they say in the probable cause affidavit. She closes the door and she waits till sunrise, well, past sunrise, to move out of the room because she was that traumatized. So let's talk about that really quick, right? Well, we're going to go timeline too because there's one thing that we, yeah, that we should also ahead. mention. Uh, well, one of the times she opened the door, she did hear the sound of a male's voice saying, it's okay, I'm going to help you. Yes. And security cameras nearby did pick up a sa- the sound of whimpering, a loud thud, and the dog Barky, Murphy, sorry, bar- tried to put two words together. Murphy Barky, barking Murphy. numerous times, bar- Barky, around 4.17 a.m. So again, she was on, the, you know, we showed that she was on the app. She was on TikTok at 4.12 and by 4.17, you've heard a loud thud, whimpering, and the dog barking. So you're talking about, you know, five minutes of each other. And Yes, right. he walked past her at that point and out the glass door and gone. So yeah, let's let's so let's talk about it. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, because the part of it that does make sense to me is the part because there's so many different reports. All right. I get you're in a frozen shock phase, quote unquote. Don't get me wrong. I, I don't know what I would do if I saw heard all these crazy things, saw a man decked in all black, maybe covered in in blood with a weapon in his hand walking around in the dark lurking and it's after a night of partying, I'd be, I don't know how I'd react. I mean, I know, well, actually I do know that I would call 911 with the quickness. Okay. I'd be slamming that door shut and I'd be, if I were the surviving roommate, I would be slamming the door shut, locking it. If there's a locking feature on the door and calling 911 right then. She does not. Allegedly, allegedly, she does not. It takes them several hours for them to call any kind of 911, any type of first responders showing up to the place. So this is a part that does not make any sense to me. And it's frustrating because the only person that they have reports of ever seeing this man or this person, whether it's Brian Koberger or not, is the one that closes the door and doesn't do anything for several hours. Okay. It, it just it, the math isn't math into me. The only thing Let I can me, think of is that she was drunk or really high on some something something strong, and she didn't want to get in trouble for being high off her mind. That's what I think. I mean, it is a Friday night. This is a party house. There are rumors of saying that this was a place where people would go like they were calling it a trap house. It's hilarious to me because <laughs> it's not a trap house. It ain't a trap house. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's a college house. It's a house filled with college students. Okay. A trap house is a trap house. Trust me. You wouldn't be wanting to have a kager in a trap house, but moving on. And this house already has its reputation for its big, huge ass parties, having a grand old time, so on and so forth. So there is that theory or that rumor running around. Maybe she was not wanting to put that information out there because of what they had in the house at that time, or maybe because she was high as hell. That's the other possibility. Well, let me play devil's advocate for you. On sure, this. please. Okay. Frozen shock state doesn't necessarily mean like terrified out of your mind. It could be startled for a moment. And the, the sure. thought of being drunk or high is definitely a very, I think, distinct possibility. Again, college campus, not a lot to do. I think that no reasonable person is going to think that, hey, my roommates are getting murdered. That's not going to be where your mind goes to, even if you're not inebriated at any at any point in time. I don't think your mind's going to go there, especially, again, you don't know whose friends are. I think that she opened the door, the guy comes down the stairs, it startles her. She stand, That's what they, they've used the term frozen shock state. I mean, I don't know that that's to be true. None of us know that's to be true. I'm just trying to 
play devil's advocate here. Yeah. And that being said, if she doesn't know that they were murdered at this point because she wouldn't have a reason to, to just think that, then going back to bed, then going to sleep again, it's 4 a.m. now. We know that they got that they got home around 1 a.m. We don't know how long that they were up before all this happened, but we also know that there were a couple times she opened the door. We know that she was up at four o'clock in the morning. So, you know, after all this, it finally, for obvious reasons, at 4.17 a.m., the house goes quiet, basically. 4.20 a.m., house goes quiet. She can now get some sleep. She goes to sleep, sleeps till noon, wakes up, realizes that something's up, you know, the roommates do, and and that's, you know, and all these door, these doors have, you know, are self-locking is what I believe. I believe that that's the case because I think that there was an issue with one of the locks. I think we saw pictures of that at some point. So if, if Koberger or whoever leaves the room, closes the door, all those doors lock behind them. So they can't just go in there. And again, we don't know that they're friends, so they might not have a reason to check on them or know that they're even gone. So when it all finally goes down and people start looking for these victims, that's when everything starts becoming discovered. And yeah, there is some weird stuff going on about like, the timing of there's a lot of weird things about timing with this mm-hmm. whole thing that I don't think has ever been completely straightened out. But that's that's me playing devil's advocate for this. There's a very distinct possibility that you know, again, logically speaking, if you heard a loud thud upstairs and maybe a whimper, you might have thought somebody stubbed their toe and oh, I'm here to help. I'm going to help you. Could be like oh, she fell off, she hurt herself, and Ethan's going to help her if you he heard a man's voice, you know, especially yeah. through doors and stuff. I, again, just playing devil's advocate here because I do believe that they're they're victims too, and and who would want to. You know, I'm a grown ass man. You're a grown ass man. Do you want to sleep with good? Would you be able to just go to bed in your house with like four dead bodies above you? Hell around you? to the gnaw. Hell yeah, to that's the not. Gnaw. Yeah, nobody's going to do If she knew, there's no way. There's no way. Nah, there ain't no way. And that's, I feel, one of the reasons why there's a lot of people, there's a lot of pushback. Agreed. And theorizing and the trap house rumor and all that floating around because a lot of people are thinking that, oh, well, maybe there was a lot of narcotics in, in the house. And they didn't want to call the cops, so they had to get rid of the the drugs before the cops showed up. And that may have taken some time to get people, whoever could get their hands on the drugs there to move the drugs. It's absolutely crazy. Let's just be really but you honest. And I, and I mean, I don't know what they think. Again, they're young, they're in college, they don't necessarily yeah. know things. But the cops, if you have a quadruple homicide, cops aren't going to give two fucks about what kind of drugs are in that house. You could have a room full of cocaine and they're not going to care Yeah, at that moment in time. They, may, they might come back and care later, but... So the four victims, you had two of them on the second floor, which is where the one roommate was and where the door to exit. Because again, the house was weird. You had a lower level, then the second level was really kind of the main level mm-hmm. and kitchen, everything there. And then then two, Maddie and Kaylee, were on the third floor and they were both in bed together, you know, spending the night because Kaylee was... Her room was already packed up, I believe. None of the victims were gagged. None of them were res- restrained. The walls of... And both rooms were just spattered with blood. And Maddie and Kaylee were found in, in Maddie's room. And Ethan and Zana were found in Zana's room. Although one thing I do want to say, which I don't think anybody's really talked about. Do you remember the pictures when they all came out and you saw like blood dripping down? I yeah. believe that would have been from where that was from where Zana's room was. I think that there was just so much blood. You have something to say, obviously. You, yeah. No, you just read my mind. Because everyone, it seems like everybody uh, seems to gloss over the idea that blood was leaking out the side of the house, it, it, people are not looking at it in that, or, or, or at least not remembering that. Because I remember there were reports of that. I remember reporting it on my show, just being absolutely baffled that it was that gruesome 
that there was blood leaking on the side of like coming out the side of the building of the house that they actually were renting. It's absolutely mind blowing to me. No one really remembers that. It is a strong reminder on how gruesome that murder scene was. I want to make it a little more gruesome. and I'm going to put this a visual in people's minds. So Rock and roll, baby. For what Rock I'm going to do. Roll. The average human body has five liters of blood in it. Mm-hmm. You have four victims. Okay. 20, that's, 20 liters of, that's 20 liters of blood. Okay. That is five. For, for those of y'all who are in foreign countries, you know how many liters are. But for us Americans who do more gallons, that is basically five and a quarter, a little bit more than five and a quarter gallons of blood. Okay. So think about getting yourself five milk jugs, five gallons like of water, whatever. Right. Dumping those out and then also adding half of a half gallon. That's how much blood. It's an obscene amount. But that's and in so that's one. Why, yeah. Hey, sorry, that's in one human body. So five. No, gallons. no, no. That, oh no, all, no, five liters in one body. So between the four of them, you mm. had over five gallons. You had five and a quarter <sighs> gallons. Oh, thank you, thank you. So in one room, you're going to have two, basically two and a half gallons per, a little bit more than two and a half gallons per that's per ins- room. That's insane. And and that's average. Ethan was a bigger guy, so he could have had more. You know, Zana could have. You know, it's it's average. But still, you're talking about five gallons. I mean. If they were killed on the edge of the house or it starts pulling because house maybe has a lean or something in it. I mean, it was it was literally dripping down the side of the house. Yeah. And I believe it. Other people are like, no, that was that was other stuff. I'm like, no, that was no, that was blood, that's blood man. Yeah. That's blood. That was, blood. Quit. <laughs> Quit that was dry blood. It's disturbing how bad this was. I mean, you, you think that they were just cut once and that was it. And then what? The the cut heals themselves. I mean, you're you're bleeding profusely from wherever these wounds that were inflicted upon them, that's where the blood's coming out. And from what I'm understanding, they were were attacked in a vicious way. Can we talk about that really quick? Yes. The timeline in which it was about 12 to 20 minutes of just carnage real quick. And uh, of course, I'm sorry, I don't mean to jump into it, but because there's that part, because there's that part, whether this is Brian Koberger or not, and, and of course, him being able to do this with a knife, one single person. There's a lot of people that will sit there and go, there, there ain't no way that one person can do all of this in that amount of time. Kill five, four different people on f- two different levels in this kind of heinous way this quickly and be out the door this quickly. Okay. There is a way. Let's not forget. It's a knife. Now, through my years of martial arts experience and and self-defense experience and all that, Krav Maga and whatnot. One thing that you learn is that a person with a gun is a lot less lethal than an experienced person with a knife. Let me repeat that again. A person with a gun can be a lot less lethal than a person with a knife. The reason why I say this is a gun, as soon as you run out of bullets, it's a paperweight. That's all it is. You can use it as a, a you can maybe hit hit somebody with it, but that's about it. it. As soon as the bullets exit, it's a paperweight. But when somebody has a knife in their hands and they know what they're doing, at least somewhat, or a person with some extreme strength or some athleticism and passion, and you have a knife or adrenaline you know, and adrenaline, and you got this person with a knife in their hand, there's a lot that can get done. There's a lot that they, they can accomplish very quickly with a knife because the knife never runs out of ammo, y'all. 
The knife never runs out. The only thing that runs out is the energy that that person has. You can maybe exhaust them or get the knife away from them as quickly as possible. But even someone who is somewhat decent with a knife, okay, decent, or someone who's very skilled with a knife, that is the worst person you want to see in a dark alley. Real talk. So when this happens, and you got two, you got four college kids on two different floors, they have, I'm sure, I mean, I don't know their fighting background or if they know how to protect themselves, but you got, you got to remember, this is a Friday night. This is a night after a night of going out and partying. We already know for a fact that uh, Maddie and uh, Kaylee were coming home drunk at that time. Probably the same thing for Ethan and Xana. They were just coming from his, his a frat party, uh, frat party fraternity as party. well. Yeah. A, a fraternity party, having a grand old time. So you add a little bit of alcohol in there. You got these four individuals slightly inebriated. And then the art of surprise, the element of surprise added into this with a guy who is hell-bent on causing some serious pain with a knife that never runs out of ammo. There's a lot he can do very, very quickly and be out the door within minutes if he knows exactly what he's doing. So that's just one thing I wanted to point out because a lot of people are wondering, how could he have done this? Because still, no matter what, 12, 15, 8 minutes, it doesn't matter. 8 to 20 minutes is a long time inside that house doing this kind of damage. There may have been some struggle, I'm sure, but let's be real. The element of surprise and the fact that he had a long, very large, sharp object, very large knife in his possession to do damage. There's a lot you can do in, in a very short time. So I just wanted to point that out about that, uh, I, that timeline. I want to piggyback too off of what you're saying. Sure. And I think that's, that's number one, it's a great point. But two, a gun is going to be loud. So right. could you, in a very quick period of time, kill four people with a gun, kill that whole house with a gun? Yeah. But somebody's going to hear those shots go off and police are going to be called. This is one of those things where the more time that goes by, the better it is. One, for the crime scene. Two, for him to get away. Three, to hide, for him to hide evidence. So for him to kill four people with a knife and get out that door and nobody finds anything till the next morning, which, you know, 911 wasn't called until, I think, 11.58 a.m., you know, that gave him ample time to get away. And I, and I agree with you too, the element of supplies. I, he, he went into, we believe that the timeline, or I think they've even confirmed it now, was Kaylee and Maddie first. And they were probably asleep because they were found in bed. So they were probably asleep in bed. So he, you can kill one of them instantly before the other one notices. The other one wakes up. We know that Kaylee, based on what her father said, received, and I'm going to try to be as respectful as I can, um, her body received the most damage. True is how we'll word that. And I have theories on that. I have, I almost have theories that Maddie was the intended target. My theory is that Maddie was the intended target. You're mm. in the dark. You have two blonde girls, you know, in the bed. He thinks that he got Maddie. Then he gets Kaylee and he gets pissed off that it was Kaylee and starts, you know, just going adrenaline rush is how I will. I, it's very hard to be, try to be respectful with, and then talk about yeah. this type of carnage. But, it's tough. you know, he, you know, he, I think he went a little bit harder on her, then goes downstairs and kills the other two. Hmm. I don't know if this was supposed to be a situation where he planned on killing one person leaving, or he did plan on killing four people. You know, who, who knows? You know what? I think, I think opposite. I actually think it's the other way around, but I think Kaylee gave up a good fight. I think that's what it was. I think it's opposite. I think, I think the target was, or I think Kaylee wasn't supposed to be there. True. No, no, no. I do think that Maddie was the target target and not Kaylee. But I think that he targeted the right person. I just think that 
she just put up a fight. So he had to make sure she was staying down for lack of a better term. Of course, I want to echo too. I want to be as respectful as possible. But, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to do that with such a, a gruesome scene. Hey, true crime fans, before we get back to this episode, there are two things I want to share with you real quick. Last month, we launched our official merch store, which encompasses both 50 Words for Murder and Justin on TikTok. There you can find all sorts of podcast merch as well as true crime merch, and we do have some stuff coming out for the fall line, so start looking for that in the next couple of weeks. If you want to get a 10% discount, use code 50words in the promo box, and you'll get it. The second thing that I want to share with you guys is that I am on Cameo. So if you have a birthday coming up or know somebody who does and want to give them something really special, really cool, feel free to book me. What I'm able to do with that is give you guys a hand-picked curated case or just a shout-out, whatever you guys want. And the special that I was running back in August for $19.99 is going to continue into September. To book me on Cameo or find the merch store, go to justinontiktok.com. Not even in my, I forgot about it. It's not even in my notes here. Sure. I forgot to write it down. But there was also a door, a, not a door, yeah, a DoorDash driver that came by right before the killings as well. Jack in the I Box. Mean, yeah, Jack in the Box. They've been cleared. Although I think the closest Jack in the Box was like Washington, which is not, which sounds far, but it was like a 10, 15 minute drive over, right. the, over the border. But I forget what time it, they arrived, but it was like right before, you know, right before the murders took place. But I think it is important to note because I think this could be an explanation for that, is that there was no sign of forced entry. There was no damage inside the home. Home, Nothing seemed to be missing. And police, originally the surviving roommates had called friends over because they believed that one of the, the roommates, said second floor victims is how they worded it. So I'm guessing Xana or Ethan, probably Xana was unconscious and not waking up. That's why they called 911 because somebody wasn't, you know, not waking up. Then, you know, police got there. They confirmed the caller, whoever called was not a suspect. But all four victims were pronounced dead at 12 noon, and detectives believe the killings occurred sometime between 4 a.m. and 4.25 a.m. And again, they also found Kaylee's dog. We mentioned Murphy earlier. Uh, Murphy was found in Kaylee's bedroom completely unharmed. Yes. So before we get into the next segment of this, any, any other thoughts? Well, as far as the noise being heard and all that, there was, there's theories saying that they heard the dog because they say that the assailant was moving the dog into the bedroom, into Kaylee's bedroom, allegedly. That's just one of the theories that's rolling around here as well, that he moved the dog or that she put the dog that made yeah. right before everything went down. Either he or Kaylee moved the dog into Kaylee's bedroom and then she went back into the bedroom with Maddie to hang out, do their gossiping and do, you know, maybe get, get to whatever they did, whatever, whatever they did. But that was something that they, you know, people were kind of pointing out as well. Yeah. So to give a little bit more on the victims, because I think it is important, you know, because yes, Brian Koberger is the living suspect on this, but there are four victims here and, you know, it tends to, they tend to get, they get lost in the shuffle, right? So just real quick, (laughs) Ethan Chapin, who we mentioned, he was 20 years old from Conway, Washington. Kaylee Gonzalez was 21 from Rathdrum, Idaho. Xana Cronota was 20 of Avondale, Arizona. But she later lived in Post Falls, Idaho. And then Maddie Mogan or Madison Mogan was 21 of Coeur d'Alene. Chapin was a freshman. Ethan Chapin was a freshman. Xana Cronota was a junior. And both Kaylee and Maddie were both seniors. Again, Kaylee had started moving out because she'd gotten a job, I think, in Texas, if I'm not mistaken. 
and was getting ready to go. So yeah, yeah, she she got a gig, she got a, like an internship or something like that in Texas. That's why she recently, or before the murders, she broke up with her longtime boyfriend because she was going to be moving to Texas and and living her life. And I guess she just wanted her. I'm assuming it was kind of a opportunity to be free, single, live life, live life on her own, and uh, all that. Yeah. So let's talk about what the university did afterward. So right after <laughs> this happened... <laughs> oh, my Lord. Here we go. So on the evening of November 13th, the university decided to cancel classes for the next day, the 14th. It also scheduled a candlelight vigil to be held on the University of Idaho Administration Building lawn on the evening of the 16th. They then postponed it for two weeks. And, you know, from the day of the killings, investigators initially said that there was no risk to the community. But three days later, mm-hmm. Moscow Police Chief James Fry said, we cannot say that there is no threat, basically, to the community. Before we go further, I just want to say, well, hold on. The police initially left, uh, left open the possibility that there could be more than one perpetrator. Plus, you know, on top of that, this person, nobody had been arrested. This person was still at large, right? And, but they mm-hmm. believed that it was a target attack that had not concluded that the target was the residents or the occupants. So before we get into more of like what happened around campus and law enforcement response, I do just want to say that I felt when this was all going down, again, this guy's, this is a town that did not have a murder in seven years, 2015 to 2022. There was no murder. And I'm not even mad. My initial thought was that the police have no idea what you're doing. You got Mayberry up in here, like, trying to do this. And I wasn't even mad at them about it because I was not expecting them to be equipped to handle a quadruple homicide. Why, why would they invest the money and resources into having equipment for that? Because it's something that doesn't happen there. And especially as Americans, we tend to be more of a reactive society than proactive. So FBI came in, state police came in, started lending resources. So they did have, have some of that. But man, every time you turned around, it just really seemed that the police didn't know what they were doing. Not at all. That's why I was like, okay, here we go. Because yeah. the university did some really messed up, mucked up things. And and Fibo was like, yeah, uh, every every press conference. Oh, yeah, you know, looks like it's a dangerous situation. It, it looks like it, it's a, it was an isolated situation. And then they'll do another press conference and go, oh, no. The man is out there and it may not be an isolated situation. And then they come back and they go, no, it was an isolated situation now. We, we realize that now. Sorry about that, y'all. You know, just letting you all know it's an isolated situation. Nothing to get worried about, but there still is a monster out here in these streets. Like, it didn't make any sense. And it's like, you know what? Make up your mind. Say what you need. Like, do the investigation that you need to do. Comb through that house. Figure everything out before you start going on to press conferences and getting everybody scared. You got a small town where everybody knows each other pretty much. And now you got all of them looking at each other in a very suspicious manner, thinking that the plumber could be the bad guy. It's, it was getting reckless, absolutely reckless. It was. And, and can I just say before we go on, I, I love your, your Chief Fry impression. It did sound more like Mr. T. Than, <laughs> I pity the fool. So, so my, my point is, please do it more, not less. I will do, and, more, uh, I will do more Sheriff Fry. I got you. I got you. It, for me, it's like if you're going to sit there and say you don't know what you're doing or you don't know nothing, then just say we're in the middle of working on it or don't say anything at all. How about that? Sorry, this is taking me. Uh, now I'm having PTSD from uh, all the from all the on. press conferences I went through with this BS. 
they had many press conferences and they would sit there and go, we'd like to thank the all the FBI, CIA, whatever's, all the acronyms coming in and being a part of this whole situation. We still have nothing. And it's like, wait a second. So you you call a press conference to tell us that you have nothing? Don't do it. Don't do the press conference then, bruh. Wait. Yeah. Wait memo, for a little while. A post. Facebook. A post. It takes 100. That would be less than 150 characters, man, in a tweet. That's yeah. all you need to do. But they did all these crazy like, oh, we don't know anything yet. And it's like, so you wasted all of our time. Or when the press asks some serious questions of, so the monster could still be on the loose. And they're like, well, you know, the, with that question, we're, we're playing a lot of things close to the vest. So, and it's like, well, then make up your mind. That was a favorite. That was a favorite line of theirs. Close to the vest. Oh my dear Lord. Yeah. yeah but, sorry. But, on, but on one of those, on one of those press conferences, the one on November 23rd, and I, I'm not even going to attempt to try to, to best you in a Chief Fry impression. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but James Fry said that they had um, received a number of tips, including that Kaylee had a stalker, but were unable to verify that claim or identify any such individual you know, at the time. But then at another press conference, they didn't have others between then on December 15th. So what, three weeks, almost a month, yeah, three weeks later, they did announce after receiving hundreds of tips from the public that they were searching records for approximately 2,200 fifth generation Hyundai Elantras, uh, which the fifth gens were made between 2011 and 2013. And the reason for that was a camera in the area captured video of an Elantra around the time of the murders, driving kind of erratically because what we've learned, we'll get into this, is that Brian Koberger is a really shitty driver. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he is. He's just like, it took him like eight points to do like a three-point turn. The guy like, the guy should not have a license. He also claims to have visual snow, which we'll get into, and maybe that was part of it. I don't know. But they saw an Elantra around the time. They had noticed it made multiple passes along the same route near the residence. And then another surveillance camera, surveillance recording obtained by investigators showed the Elantra passing by the victim's home three times, beginning around 3.29 a.m. And at 4.04 a.m., the Elantra returned home for a fourth time, and at 4.20 a.m., which is right around the time they're expecting that everything happened, the car was seen speeding away from the neighborhood. So anything you want to add to that? Or are we good? You want to keep going? No, no. Can, keep keep going. going. Yeah, keep okay, going. Okay, okay. So investigators traced the ownership of this car to a local... Well, actually, before I even get into that, <laughs> do you remember all, all <laughs> Hyundai Elantra shit out there? Yeah, I was, I was victim to it too, though. I mean, there were so many. I was too. Oh my God, could it be the that that abandoned Hyundai in Oregon? I mean, you know, we all were. Just well, we were, we were, we were trying. Yeah, well, the one that I got, the one that I got caught into was, and people just like reamed me for it. Was there was the one where you could go on Google Maps and it was like near an area where a guy who had been convicted of domestic violence or something, like a couple days later, you know, with a gun or had murdered somebody before. He had an Elantra and it was parked, or he had a Hyundai, a white Hyundai, and it was parked here. And we're like, and so then I post it. And they're like, what's well, the Sonata? And I'm like, yeah. Okay, well, I, like, I should know better. And then they, they get on to me like, you should know this. Look, no offense to anybody who drives a Hyundai. Okay, like seriously. I know that they're great, affordable, economical cars. So don't yeah. be pissed off at me. Don't hit the unfollow when I say this. But I'm sorry. I do know cars, but I don't know shitty entry-level econo boxes. I don't know those because I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I could not tell the difference between a Sonata and a Elantra. They look both the fucking same to me. They and that's the other thing too, because you, you're telling that's me five zero, yeah, from the side in the dark and all that. You're you're telling me that I mean anyone could have confused a Sonata with the Elantra. It's like someone confusing a, a Corolla with a Camry. It's 
normal unless I mean I haven't seen a Toyota Corolla or a Camry in a while but back in the day they kind of looked the same you know the only difference was there was one was more expensive than the other you know what I mean so one was a little bigger yeah but one was a little bigger you know but on the side you're driving that car's driving by you're not automatically going oh that's a that's definitely a 2015 Elantra get out of here if it's a white unless you're really into Hyundai's you know yeah but I mean unless you're really into it I mean but I feel like I could see where anybody would have we all did. Yeah. It. You know, all we of all us internet sleuths were on that and, and, you know, speculating and, and seeing if that guy was connected to the whole situation too. Cause I was reporting that too back in the day. And that guy was our a monster too. Were good. Yeah. He was, he was a monster and our intentions were good. They were good and they were pure. We were trying to help, you know, find somebody. And I mean, I don't know about you, but like when all, when everything came out about the Hyundai, every Hyundai I saw, I was like, is that, is that who it is? Is that who it is? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, every white yeah. Hyundai I saw, everyone's Anyways, a suspect, that, right? Everyone is just like, I, <laughs> I just saw a Hyundai Elantra here in Tennessee. It's got, yeah, Uh-oh. it's got the county that place him? that I live in. Yeah. He changed plates again. Oh, yeah. because that, well, well, hold on. I'm putting the car before the horse here. So investigators traced the ownership to the car to an individual named Brian Koberger, who drove it from, you know, college in Washington. He lived in Washington, which again, 15 minute drive. Mm-hmm. Drove out with his father from the Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania. Well, sorry, I'm getting this backwards. Sorry. He, I don't know if they drove out there together, but they drove back. He drove back from, Washington to the Poconos with his father flew out and drove back with him. Before I get into that part, he did one thing that's important is he had the, this car had Washington tags. And between the times of the murders, the car, when they drove out to Washington, the car had Pennsylvania plates. Okay. But right after the murders happened, right after, Koberger changed the plates on that car to Washington plates. He showed it. Right after. He should, that's not in my notes, but that did happen. He for um, sure did. <laughs> Tell me you're guilty without think, telling me you're guilty. Right. Uh, yeah. And I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's more circumstantial evidence, but I mean, enough of it adds up over time, right? Mm-hmm. Now, that being said, on his way home, he got pulled over twice in Indiana within like five miles. This goes back to him being just a shitty driver. And a lot of people thought that it was the FBI tracking him, but they've come out and said that it was not. And it was on Interstate 70 outside of Greenville. And once was for speeding, once was for tailgating. Another thing that's important to talk about going back to the murder time is that a piece of evidence was left behind at the crime scene. A knife sheath. Oh, the beloved beloved uh, knife sheath. Oh, my Lord. Yep. Here yep. we go. Beloved knife sheath. Mm-hmm. And it had some touch DNA that belonged to Brian Koberger. Now, people yes. are like, well, why would he leave it behind? He's going to get caught. Well, if you remember what I said earlier, these doors lock. He's trying to buy himself as much time as possible. He has adrenaline rushing. He leaves the door. He doesn't realize the knife sheath isn't there. Maybe it fell out of his pocket while he was on going on a stab fest. And left it. And so mm-hmm. that's how they obtained his, his DNA and started kind of focusing in on, on him. But anyway, so investigators obtained cell phone data from him, though, that showed that his phone stopped connecting to the network around 2.47 a.m. in Pullman, Washington, on November 13th, the night of the murders. Mm-hmm. 2.47 a.m., his phone stops responding to towers. All of a sudden, at 4.48 a.m., reconnects. Mm-hmm. Utilize a cell tower near the victim's residence. Around 9 a.m. on the morning of the killings, approximately five hours. Oh, sorry, the next day, sorry, around 9 a.m. of the 13th, five hours after the killings. So I can't read my notes here. So that means, so here's what that means. That means phone was turned off about an hour and a half before the murders, not even, like an hour and 15 minutes before the murders, give or take. Mm-hmm. Comes back on maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes after the murders, after he's out of, after, you know, enough time to get out of the, day, the area. Then at 9 a.m., 
he's back in that area near the house. Yep. So was it to get a knife sheath? Was it to see the aftermath of what he did? And the other thing that I think is important to mention, because I did a whole YouTube show on, on this particular one, was if you pull the cell phone records of where his phone pinged that night, and you guys can't see a map because we're here, but Pullman to Moscow is about a 15-minute drive. And there is an area that you can go that is much, much, much further where you go south through a national park and then back up. And his cell phone picked up pings there. And in my personal opinion is that the weapon itself, unless they have it, which I don't believe that they do, the weapon itself plus any clothes he was wearing that night are probably buried or burned somewhere in that area. Because again, we don't know. We know that the phone came back on. We know that he was in certain areas. We know that they picked up towers. Um, it was a pretty remote area. So it's not unreasonable for his phone to have kept you know, certain towers for a longer period of time than maybe they would have. But I think that it's reasonable to speculate that evidence was destroyed somewhere in that national park. That's my opinion. I don't know if you've, if you've gone through that, but... No, I feel like that's a fair assessment for sure. That's kind of what the conclusion I've come to. But then, you know, there is question of, could he have held on to something as a trophy, as a reminder of this thing that he did? And of course, that's a whole other Charles Dickens story in itself as well, I'm sure. But turning off his cell phone before he goes down and do this unthinkable thing so that maybe... You, let's not forget a little bit of background about him. He was getting his PhD in criminology. He was mm -hmm. studying with some of the brightest minds in criminology, in the psychology of how serial killers get caught and all that. He was doing all that. He was doing all this studying, learning from basically Yoda herself, for crying out loud. He was using the force learning the force to do bad with it, right? For the dark side. He was. And then he knew to turn off his cell phone while he was driving closer to, to that house. So it is pretty wild to think that he just randomly, just out of nowhere, just decides to turn off his phone or his phone at that time just shuts off by itself all willy-nilly. He doesn't seem like the type who doesn't have a cell phone charger in his car. So it just seems a bit odd for him to do something like this right on the same time, the same night, the same hours that heck all of a this tragedy went down. It's a huge coincidence, man. But to answer what you were saying, yes, I think when it came to discarding the, the evidence, let's not forget, they got some, they got one of the guys at least, okay? He done did this. He had time to plot this thing out. You don't think he went around, drove around places or even ran around places to see where security cam are, where street cams are, all that stuff. You don't think he knew to go and discard some of the, some of these items? But, okay, but going on what you said, but I do know, I don't know what he looked at in there, but what I do know is that his phone also pinged at least 12 times between June 2022 and November 13th. Right. In that area near the house. Right. So, he has been lurking, guys. He was lurking. He was looking at these places. He was studying his area. He had plenty of time to do all of this. This is several months of him doing his due diligence before he pounced. You don't think he looked around the area? He was also an avid runner, a pretty fast runner. So he was he's very fit. in shape. He's, he's very fit. fit. Yeah. yeah, he was very fit. So he was doing all of his work. You don't think that randomly he's just a casual jogger one day, but while he's on his run, he's looking at 
areas and alleyways and places where he can discard things, get rid of things, not be seen getting rid of those certain things. Oh, there's that jack in the box down over there. There aren't any cameras by that dumpster. So I could throw the stuff away in the dumpster really quick and no one would be the wiser. There's plenty. He burned it. There's no doubt he burned it. He probably burned it. But him even going and finding a place to burn said stuff so that so that it's not caught anywhere on film on camera wait a second can that camera see where i'm planning on burning like a exactly. national park in the middle of the night exactly yeah. but you yeah. also got to remember even in a national park in the middle of the night if there are cameras they're going to see it in the top right hand corner in some way you know what i mean seeing a a bright flame going off. You see what I'm saying? So if they're doing their due diligence, 5-0, they would be able to see if there is security cameras in the national park, which there should be, guys. There's plenty of people that are losing their lives in national parks, okay? Rachel Moore, for example. But a lot of it's so primitive. There's there's not, though, because a lot of it's so primitive. Yeah. I mean, he's he planned this thing out. He had time. He knew where all the cameras were so that he can execute what he needed to execute to the fullest extent. That's basically it. The only thing that we're, uh, the only reason why I think that they're catching him even more is because the cell phone pings, the fact that the phone was turned off, the car itself, it is the car that they're looking for. I mean, it's, it's insane, man. It's insane that the stuff that they got on him right now. Now I think we should talk about how, how did they hone in on Brian Coburger? Let's talk about how they honed in on him. So, again, he left a knife sheath around, uh, you know, at the crime scene with some touch DNA. That is what they had. We now have a car. Mm-hmm. So, using a public genealogy database, public one, authorities identified a partial match to an individual with a familial connection to Koberger. They then traced the DNA to him by Matt, to Koberger, by Brian Koberger, by matching it to DNA found on trash. That was covered. That was recovered from his family's home in Pennsylvania. Before the arrest, however, because again they had honed in on him at this point, investigators monitored Koberger outside of his parents' home. And look, guys, we're going to talk about some of this shit. And if you don't know that what we're talking, if you haven't, if you've been under a rock and this is the first time you're hearing about this case, or you haven't really paid much attention, shit's about to get weird if it hasn't gotten weird already. Okay, <laughs> it is. Again, they were. They were watching him outside of his parents' home, and he was seen multiple times wearing surgical gloves, rubber gloves, like latex gloves, and observed putting trash bags, taking his trash out, and putting it in the neighbor's garbage can. Mm-hmm. That is where they got. And by the way, just so y'all, anybody knows, once you put your trash out into a can, it is considered abandoned property, and it becomes anybody else's if they yep. want it. So in this case, the FBI wanted this trash, and so they could do it. There's nothing illegal about that. Those items were then sent to the Idaho State Lab for testing, and I guess that kind of helped further solidify that they had the right guy. Authorities also said that Coburg had cleaned out his car inside and out, not missing an inch of area. And I believe they said that he used bleach. I mean, that's what I understood as well. And I mean, and if he wasn't using bleach, then he's, he hasn't been doing his research very well. You know, well, bleach is I agree with you. the way to go, right? Bleach is out. Bleach is a good way to go, and and we'll, we'll talk about that with a car in a second. But let me tell you something. I I've been a car guy my entire life, and I clean cars. I detail cars. I have the only time I have ever taken anything that was bleach esque towards a car is two times. One is one of those like Landau tops. You know, I didn't kill anybody, <laughs> but one of those Landau tops that had sat under a car that had you know white Landau top. You know what I'm talking about? Like the old 
70s, early 80s cars that had like the fab, they, they faked oh. you out to make you think they were a convertible. Maybe that's not oh. Landau top, but whatever they're called. One of those. I know exactly what you mean, one, yeah. Yeah, one, one of those that was white that needed to be cleaned because it had gotten a lot of like black mold and stuff on it because it just sat for a long time. And the other one was for white walls on a tire, on tires. Those were the only times I've ever used. It's been years. So you don't use bleach to clean a car. That's just not, not good for it. But nevertheless, he cleaned out his car, according to the FBI, every single inch of it. Now, when authorities searched the home where he was arrested, they also found a knife, a pistol, black face mask, as well as ID cards inside of the glove box. Now, one thing that I didn't write in my notes, but if I recall correctly, what the authorities were willing to tell us was that one of the IDs that was found in the glove box did belong to one of the victims. They didn't specify which victim, but it was one of them. Interesting. The other I, thing... I thought that was, that? I thought, no, no, no. I heard that, but I thought it was debunked. I thought that that wasn't entirely true, that they okay, said well, one there of us were IDs is, in, the, in the glove in a box, but they were not of any of the victims. But yeah, I, I, I hadn't heard wrong. it. And I could be wrong, but you know what? We have listeners to tell us. So Let when y'all go to one of our pages, you can go to my my threads or my X, which used to be Twitter, but you know, Elon Musk is a supervillain, so he had to do a supervillain logo. Right. Uh, anyways. So yeah, you can let us know, and I'm sure you have you can reach I don't, well, I don't know what the best way to get you. you. You can go to my X as well, the former Twitter, not my actual X. You can, Just, she might tell you anyways, though. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like why are these why are these people contacting me? Yeah, uh, no any, anyways, okay. But supposedly, you know, one of us is right, one of us is wrong. That is y'all's homework is to let us know which one yeah. it is. At the time of his arrest, again, totally normal behavior. Koberger was up. It was late at night. Totally normal. Okay? This is this is totally normal behavior. What he was doing. What he was doing. Yes. Uh, they found him in the kitchen. He was dressed in a shirt and shorts, wearing. Examination gloves, like again, vinyl, rubber, latex gloves, separating trash that belonged to him into separate Ziploc baggies. Totally normal. Totally normal. Totally normal. That's how I take the trash out. Ex- me too. Every time. I, I actually cannot go to bed properly unless all my own waste is in Ziploc bags, individually wrapped up in Ziploc bags. But you I can't like touch your own waste too. either. Yeah, you can't touch your own waist either because, oh, because you got to wear the, the gloves. gloves. Yes, yes. You got to wear them. That's, oh, that's, yeah. that's pivotal. Oh, yeah. My, so, yeah, my life, my life is, is, is a regular CSI. CSI Miami, you know? That's just what I do. Don't you? Yeah. I thought we all do this. I mean, it's just totally, it's totally normal behavior. <laughs> nothing, nothing to see here. It's totally normal. But I do want to, I do want to talk about the, the arrest for a moment real quick. The, specifically the warrant. The, the warrant mm-hmm. to, to get the arrest. Okay, y'all. These murders happened in Idaho. Brian Koberger at the time lived in Washington. He was arrested in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Okay. To obtain a warrant to not only a, an arrest in another state, but a no-knock warrant, the way that they did, because they put like, they took in like SWAT, they took in like all the major teams to take this guy in. Like you have to have really compelling evidence for a judge to grant that. You That's have very to be true. you have to be sure. So, and we know what they put on the we know what they put on the warrant. And I mm-hmm. think that that was just and I mean it was a lot of stuff, more than you needed for a warrant like that. But I think that that's just the tip of the iceberg. I think that they have so much more and they they did such a oh. great. Yeah. Come on. It's it's going to be a wrap. Once we finally see this in court, 
whenever the trial actually happens, it could be, it could be 2024, 2025 for crying out loud, loud guys, but they have so much pitted against Brian Koberger right now. I like to call him Coco from time to from time to time. Um, Go for it. But uh, the amount of stuff that they have pitted up against Coco is I'm sure astronomical. And I feel like the defense is they're having a hard time trying to prove his innocence right now. And of course, we haven't gotten into trial stuff yet in this case. But still, the fact that the judge said to sign off for them to bust through his parents' home, catching him in his his skivvies, for crying out loud. Just doing normal everyday things. Just doing normal normal stuff, right? Putting things in, in Ziploc bags, wearing surgical gloves, just chilling in the cut. And his parents' home says a lot, y'all. It says a whole lot. They didn't even wait for him to go to the, you know, walk out the door nonchalantly. They didn't go, bing bong, hello, hi, how you doing? You know what I mean? You're under arrest. We're looking for Brian Koberger. You're under arrest for the murder of four individuals. They didn't do any of that. They bust through the doors. And they and got the windows, it. Yeah. And it was late. I don't remember what time it was, but it was like the middle. Again, he's he's always up. Which look, people are night owls. I'm not getting on to him for that at all. You know, I no. I'm a night owl too. But I mean, it's he's waiting to take his trash out when everybody's asleep or when nobody's around. He's wait. He's doing the ziploc baggy thing, which is you know, it's in the, the middle surgical, of the night. It's the surgical yeah. gloves for me. And it's the gloves. It's the cleaning the car with bleach. It's also him shopping. He was also grocery shopping with those surgical surgical gloves on as well. There's also reports of him doing that while they, they were yeah, surveilling the while they were they were surveilling him going to supermarkets and whatever he was doing, he was wearing these surgical gloves as well. Almost like somebody knew the heat was on and they were trying real hard to not leave any traces behind. No kidding. Okay. Almost like that. Almost like that. Almost. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's 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 just re- it's it's ugh. Like I said before, and I feel like this is going to be the theme of this this podcast, but uh, tell me you did it without telling me you did it. Okay, guys? Yeah. I'm going to be saying that a lot here. Hey, true crime fans. Before we get back to this episode, there are two things I want to share with you real quick. Last month, we launched our official merch store, which encompasses both 50 Words for Murder and Justin on TikTok. There you can find all sorts of podcast merch as well as true crime merch, and we do have some stuff coming out for the fall line, so start looking for that in the next couple of weeks. If you want to get a 10% discount, use code 50words in the promo box, and you'll get it. The second thing that I want to share with you guys is that I am on Cameo. So if you have a birthday coming up or know somebody who does and want to give them something really special, really cool, feel free to book me. What I'm able to do with that is give you guys a hand-picked curated case or just a shout-out, whatever you guys want. And the special that I was running back in August for $19.99 is going to continue into September. To book me on Cameo or find the merch store, go to justinontiktok.com. Now, for his arrest, as you said, he was arrested on four counts of first-degree murder and one felony count of burglary, which people were like, what did he take? What did he take? He didn't take anything. Burglary is just him entering the home. He was appointed a public defender. His public defender is no joke, Ann Taylor. She is a good public defender. Oh, she a beast. She is a beast. And he was detained without bond at the Monroe County Correctional Facility in Stroudsburg, PA. And then he got extra... Was waiting to be extra... By the way, he was arrested on December 30th of 2022, guys. And then... He, on January 3rd, 2023, basically waived extradition, saying, okay, I'm willing to be extradited. And on January 4th, he was flown in the slowest plane ever 
<laughs> he was. It was like watching Santa. <laughs> oh God, I y'all. I think I could have been in Australia faster, but no, it's um, it was like we were because it was pulled up. Everybody had. Everybody was watching it, including myself. Like we're watching the plane on the map and had to stop and refuel. Oh, yeah. But it was. But you know, the Pennsylvania police lent their plane, and you know, it's probably not used to having to do big treks like that. So you know, whatever. And it's what it is. But he got to fly private plane shackled for more hours than it should have been straight to Pullman and driven to the Lata County jail in Moscow and being held without bail, which he has been there ever since uh-huh. making us for, well, before we get into court appearance and before we get into that, let me give y'all a little bit of background on Koberger because I do think that it's important and I'm just going to kind of read this. Okay. Just so y'all know, he, you know, as Pascal said, he was arrested at his parents' house, which is in Monroe County, Pennsylvania. He was born November 21st, 1994 in Albrightsville, Pennsylvania. He finished Pleasant Valley High School in 2013 and attended Monroe Career and Technical Institute in Bartonsville, but dropped out a year later. He then attended Northampton Community College. He earned an associate's degree in psychology in 2018. Then after he graduated, he worked as a security guard for the Pleasant Valley School District, the same district where his father previously worked as a maintenance worker for many years. His mom subbed sometimes. And in 2020, he received a BA and in 2022, an MA in criminal justice from DeSales University in Center Valley. Then in the summer of 2022, he moved to Washington. So he had not even been in this area that long, y'all. I mean, he moved there, you know, during the summer, a few months later, four people show up, you know, end up being dead. But he moved there to pursue a PhD at Washington State in Pullman. Um, That campus is less than eight miles west of Moscow. And at the time of the killings, he was, he's no longer is, he was removed from school, a doctoral student in criminology. He completed his first semester there nine days before his arrest. And he had actually been a teaching assistant until he got fired less than two weeks before the murder. He got fired after the murders, but he was a teaching assistant. But faculty members had been meeting to discuss growing concerns about his behavior and conduct. He was then terminated from his teaching assistant role on December 19th, which is before his arrest, actually. And the decision was based on his unsatisfactory performance as a teaching assistant, including his failure to meet the norms of professional behavior and mm-hmm. his interactions with the faculty. So to stop here real quick, this guy, since this has come out, has had so many complaints against him, primarily also from female students. They even through the program in Washington talked about the fact that he would treat and grade female students differently than he would grade male students. Yeah. He, there was also a program that he was in a correct, like a, a law program that he was high school that he got kicked out of. This came out like the other day, actually, because again, complaints from female students. So, you know, there's a pattern here that this guy's got a real problem with women and girls. Most definitely a pattern. Uh, and there's also recent news that he was kicked out of another program as well because of his strange and harsh interactions that he had with females as well. A lot of it's got, he also, though, going back to something that you had mentioned earlier, we talked about mm-hmm. his, his education record here. He also did, I think it was on Reddit, basically a survey talking about criminals. And, and I forget all the questions you may remember better than I do talking about basically a survey for like, you know, how did you do this? How did it make you feel? How did you get away with it? This kind of stuff. And he, he claimed it was a project. So again, something totally normal for a non-criminal to do. You know, I mean, I get look, research is research. I get that. I get the curiosity, but it just knowing what we know now seems a little peculiar is all I'm saying. Very peculiar. I feel that a lot of the stuff that all these things that happened, I mean, you know, people are a lot of people are trying to say that he's an incel. 
not being able to properly talk to women. Maybe he, somewhere on the spectrum. He could, he could, could very well be. I, that could very well be it too. But what, what I'm basically trying to say is I feel that a lot of people are thinking that maybe he was trying to do a whole like, I'll show them type of thing here and like act out and exact the perfect murder without actually getting caught. But I mean, obviously it didn't work out for him now, but he, that's what a lot of people are kind of theorizing right now as well. Yeah. And, and I've heard, I've heard a lot of that. I think there's a lot of things you can call Brian Koberger, maybe incel is one of them when, He's when a monster. you go to that level. Yeah. He, he is a monster. And, and, you know, people talk about his, his dead eyes and, you know, anyways, his, uh, yeah. He made his first court appearance in the Lotta County Courthouse on January 5th and was charged officially with four counts of first-degree murder. So they And the one count of burglary. Now, we didn't know that till he got there and was arraigned because it was a sealed indictment. And it was done by grand jury. And I think that's important to note as we're going to talk about some of this. And the count of burglary was just for breaking in the home with the intent to commit a felony. Doesn't mean they took anything. That's just what it meant. One week later, on January 12th, he made his second appearance for a status conference. Same courthouse, same room. Then his indictment and arraignment, I'm sorry, the grand jury indictment came on the 17th. They, he was arrested for, for the four counts of murder, but he got an official indictment, which they were, look, here's what the indictment came out about. It was basically, are we going to go through this whole little trial and hearing and things like that to, to get him an official of this, your, your, your official indictment, or could they call a grand jury together? forego some of the legal process and and make it easier because he look there was no scenario where he wasn't going to be indicted whether it was through a grand jury or through your traditional legal channel so they did a mm-hmm. grand jury and it was again those same five charges then a preliminary probable cause hearing scheduled for june 26 was canceled after that indictment because there was one scheduled which i'm guessing that was going to be the hearing where they talked about all of this mm-hmm. then in may 2023 Koberger refused to enter a plea he stood silent his attorney said that he was basically standing silent. He never said a word. He would not enter a plea of guilty or not guilty, which means by default, the judge has to enter a not guilty plea for him. He never said a word. On June 26, the Lotta County Prosecutor's Office announced they were seeking the death penalty given the statutory aggravating circumstances of the first degree murder and charges. So I do want to say something about the death penalty for a second, because there's a lot of people who are really, really excited about getting but Idaho recently brought back firing squad as an alternate method. And a lot of people are like, oh, he's going to get the firing squad. Well, not necessarily. And no. I do kind of want to talk about this while I have this platform right now. And y'all are for, sort of forced to listen to me. Unless you hit the stop button and say, fuck you, Justin. But anyways, uh, the reason that, that states are implementing alternative death penalty protocol is because the lethal injection drugs are oftentimes hard to get. And sometimes some of the companies that manufacture them don't want to be involved in having their medications used for the death penalty. It's a cocktail of sorts of a lot of chemicals, medications, whatever you want to say. And so also since the pandemic, a lot of those types of things have been harder to to come by. So there's a shortage. Now, that being said, if Brian Koberger goes to if Brian Koberger went to court and was convicted tomorrow, which we know is not going to happen, the likelihood of him sitting on death row for 20 years is high. He's young. He's going to appeal. He's going to exhaust every process he possibly can to get a stay of execution. True. And assuming all of those fail, in 20 years, I, will, I would assume that our supply issues of the lethal injection cocktail will probably not be an issue. So all I'm saying is I get the being excited about firing squad, 
but just just I'm trying to put reasonable expectations on it. Well, there's, you also got to remember there's the chair too. And uh, last I checked, we got plenty of electricity and I don't see anytime soon somebody, some prison suddenly running out of electricity no. to put somebody to the, to the chair. So it's there just in case those kind of options are not easily facilitated, but I don't think anybody's going to sit there and go, oh yeah, you know, give him the firing squad. I just... It's just there just in case. But I, I think if he does, if he is found guilty and the judge decides, yes, you will face death, I don't think they're going to be using firing squad on him or anyone anytime soon for a while. I agree with you. Hey, true crime fans, before we get back to this episode, there are two things I want to share with you real quick. Last month, we launched our official merch store, which encompasses both 50 Words for Murder and Justin on TikTok. There you can find all sorts of podcast merch as well as true crime merch, and we do have some stuff coming out for the fall line, so start looking for that in the next couple of weeks. If you want to get a 10% discount, use code 50words in the promo box, and you'll get it. The second thing that I want to share with you guys is that I am on Cameo. So if you have a birthday coming up or know somebody who does and want to give them something really special, really cool, feel free to book me. What I'm able to do with that is give you guys a hand-picked, curated case or just a shout-out, whatever you guys want. And the special that I was running back in August for $19.99 is going to continue into September. To book me on Cameo or find the merch store, go to justinontiktok.com. So... That brings us up mostly today. There have been a lot of court hearings. There have been a lot of speculation and things that happened. And initially, as we're recording this, we are, I will tell you guys, the date that we're recording, this is August 26th. And originally, October 2nd was supposed to be the day that trial started. But in a surprise, not not even a surprise move, in a not so surprising move last week, he waived his right to a speedy trial so they could continue to gather. Because there's a lot, y'all, there's a lot of evidence they have to go through. I think it was what they, I mean, through the surge records alone, they found like 51 terabytes of file. And like, terabytes. I, I had to compare terabytes. And I had to compare, you know, I'm going to let you continue to tell what they found while I look up and give them a comparison of what terabytes are. Please oh, well, it is a laundry list of things that they've received. But mainly, yes, it is 51 terabytes of cell phone data. That's videos. That's, everything, emails, you name it, everything that has anything to do with this trial or to this case they have right now. And terabytes is a lot. This this isn't 51 gigs of data. It's 51 terabytes. It takes some time to go through all that stuff. So I can see why the defense may be very happy that they have an extension or they have some time before the trial actually goes down. Because just going through that, that takes time. And I mean, that's if you got people going around the clock. That's still putting in months of time to look into every nook and cranny of every gig, gigabyte that they have on that, that on, in these terabytes. That could be 15,810,000 photos. That's insane, guys. That's absolutely, that's a lot of photos. I mean, and, and it's not all photos, obviously. No, no, no. It's, doc- know, it's probably mostly video, but yeah. But that's just yeah. to kind of put a tangible thing. 15, almost 16 million photos. It's a lot you of stuff. In, in 51 terabytes. And I also want to say, there is, we still only have maybe one to 2% 
of the stuff to the like the public only has from what we all know the everyone from the the truest crimers the truest of true crimer social social media sleuths internet sleuths that are out here all the way down to you guys who just randomly for the fun of it every once in a while get into these cases into these stories all of us only have about 2 to 3% of what the defense has right now shoot not even maybe not even that and what the defense has in this case. So imagine the amount of stuff that they actually have right now that could paint a much more clearer picture for this case or for this crime that we've never even seen yet. The prosecution has something. The defense now has it in their hands as well. And like I said, we're going to find out so much more when this trial happens. 100%. So, But one thing I do want to talk about really, really quick we got to talk about touch DNA. We got to talk about this sheath, knife sheath. If we're kind of going backwards a little bit, I'm sorry. But you know, you did say like, what was it that got him? What was it that got him in trouble? Yes, they got him in, you know, yes, they arrested him in his parents' home. How did they find his car? Why were they following him of all people? Well, the touch DNA that was on the actual knife sheath that was left Beside or underneath, that's the one thing people are saying. Either it was the knife sheath was found on the side of these two young girls or was underneath the body of one of these girls. There was touch DNA. Now, they say touch DNA is basically like, say I hug Justin or I shake his hand and then I go off and I die in a mysterious manner and they comb my body for DNA and say... His DNA was on the palm of my hand because I shook his hand. I mean, I know that's not the best explanation, but... I said, they'll be talking to me if that was the case. Oh, yeah. They'll be coming up and talking to him for sure because they'll be like, his DNA was on you. Your DNA was, was on Pascal. Or say, I hug him and some of his hair. For example, you know, like just something random. It could be a fleck of skin. It could be anything. It could be a little bit of dandruff. It could be anything. It could be microscopic. It could be microscopic. Absolutely. So we have to put this in consideration. At first, they got the, they found the knife sheet. They took it to forensic lab. They did their due diligence. The first place that they went to didn't find nothing. They send it to, they send it out of state to another place. They ran their, they did their work, and that's when they found touch DNA on the snap button of this knife sheath, okay, which is like a a Marines logoed leather knife sheath. K-bar. K-bar. K-bar knife sheath. Thank you. So they had that DNA. So somehow they were able to get DNA, put it through a genealogy type of like a 23andMe, Ancestry.com type of thing. And that DNA was not that of Brian Koberger's at that time. But they were able to get DNA and run it through this database. And that's how they were able to basically zero in on Brian Koberger. Now, one of the things that they're arguing right now, the defense is arguing like crazy right now, is the way in which the law, the state, actually got Brian Koberger's DNA. Now, one thing I do want to point out, we already talked about the scene at his parents' house. They bust through the windows, bust through the door, basically go, you know, put your hands up, you know, that kind of thing. They arrested him. But what people are theorizing, what people are saying is that law enforcement obtained his DNA 
in an illegal way. That they went through his trash inside his home. When it's on the side of the road, that's for that's for anybody. That's free. But they got it from the side of the road too. Now, if that's the truth, then that's great. But what the defense is trying to argue is that the that police did some dirty things or not dirty things. They just cut some corners to get their man. So basically they're saying that the DNA that they have to pin Brian Koberger with a sh- without a shadow of a doubt type of thing was DNA that they obtained from within the house. One thing that is very gotcha. interesting, the defense is fighting tooth and nail right now. They're basically asking, hey, state, why don't you cough up all the proof? Why don't you cough up how you got his DNA? Why don't you cough up the methods in which you got this evidence to pin Brian Koberger to this crime? The state has been dragging their feet like crazy, guys. Absolutely crazy. Defense has been asking this for months. For months since he was arrested, they've been asking. Basically, Ann Taylor, like like we said, she's a beast. She does not play. She catches. She doesn't. Definitely catches dirty cops doing dirty things. She's done it before, and she's exonerated other people because of cops' ill will or dirty doings. Now, getting off on technicalities. We're seeing this now, too, with this situation. They're sitting there going, the defense is asking for the state to cough up the proof, and the state has not done so yet. So what the theory is, they went in, they arrested him, obviously. But there are people that are maybe thinking things were planted on him, planted in his house to make it seem like it was him, or that they obtained evidence, DNA, that was not that they didn't have a warrant for. They just kind of dig through things and just took his stuff and just said, hey, we found it. It just happened to be outside. You know what I'm saying? So that is one of the biggest arguments right now. The way that they obtained this DNA and how they connected this DNA to Brian Koberger in the first place. Another thing I want to point out, which is really crazy in my personal opinion, and, and put this in your pipe and smoke on it. Maybe, you know, throwing a bee in your bonnet in this situation. Now, I already think, and I do believe that this man, they got their man. I think that he is at least one of the guys, him guilty as F, in my personal opinion. But that doesn't mean that they didn't try to cut some corners to get their guy. One thing that I think is very interesting is that the defense is asking for body cam footage. Do you realize how many cops, FBI, a local PD and whatnot that came busting through that door that was supposed to have body cam footage rolling and none of them suddenly don't have any body cam footage? Think about how many officers were in that room or in that in that house. Apparently, there was upwards of 50 officers surrounding the area and inside that house. And you're telling me not one of them turned on their body cam when they arrested this individual? Very shady dealings. So that's one thing that the defense is trying to prove and trying to push really hard. And for some odd reason, the state is just dragging their feet to give them what they're asking for. Because if they find out that they are cutting corners and that they did some things not so by the book, this could let Brian Koberger walk, walk. just like you just said, Justin, on a technicality. And that's the scary part here too. And and we are getting close to time, so I will I will sure. just say things that we would be remiss if we didn't too. And I feel like at this point they can only rely on getting him off on a technicality. That's what they have. 
I think. Because, I mean, even the alibi, like the other <sighs> week, they they came up with an alibi. The alibi, the alibi essentially was, and, and I'm I'm not exaggerating this. The alibi was Brian Koberger likes to likes to be up at night. Cool, get it? He does. He likes to be up at night. Every time anybody catches him doing anything, it's late at night. Nothing wrong with being being a night out. That's how he is. Yeah, he likes to <laughs> take drives. So he took a drive. Cool. Hold on, hold on. That's but not we, an alibi. That's not an alibi. Thank you. When they asked, about, hold on. Yes. Yes. Because when they the asked alibi. him, when they asked him, when the state said, fine, that's your alibi. Can you provide witnesses or places? Well, no, we can't. And basically the, the tone of it, not making that was no, he was it was late at night by himself. Don't ask us any more questions about it. Don't ask us if they have anything, you know, like any proof of that he was doing that. He was just doing this. This is the alibi. That was it. And, and that's what they expect. It is the saddest fucking alibi. I, it's terrible. It's whack. Okay. It's just, there's no other word for it except that it's trash or that it's whack. It's trash. You're, you're literally telling me that you are, you're driving alone at four o'clock in the morning throughout the early morning hours on this devastating night. Your phone was off, but you're driving around and you have no other witnesses that could corroborate your alibi. So you don't really have, it's not even an alibi, baby. So you're telling me you're driving around just listening to, to Rammstein? Just do, do host. Like what, like really? You're telling me that you're doing that just all by your lonesome? Really? Come on. Tell me you did it without telling me you did it. It's just a Hail Mary. It's a Hail Mary. It is a Hail Mary. Where's the footage of him driving through, driving by a gas station, any traffic lights or anything of that sort? Show me proof of him actually driving in those areas and him just driving in circles. Okay. Show me him going to a late night diner and grabbing a, a cup of coffee and a and or going a, through anywhere a, an apple pie. Something. You anywhere. know what I mean? Just give me something that can corroborate that alibi. But you're driving by yourself by yourself on a day that four people lost their lives. You can miss me with that nonsense, bro. You can miss me with that nonsense. And the last thing I want to say, because I realized that before the beginning of this podcast, I said I would come back to this and I never did, was the car thing. And then we'll we'll close out for a minute. But Sure. Or do this for a minute and close out. But cars have so many crevices in them. Okay. And I'll give you guys a story real quick. I used to have a 1999 Nissan Altima. And one day, paint spilled in this car. So I had to replace the carpet in it. And I pulled the carpet up and I had taken that car to the beach probably two years prior. Did a great job vacuuming, had vacuumed probably a hundred times. And I pulled the carpet up and guess what's under the carpet? Sand. There's still sand. Okay. No matter what you, and, and y'all, I keep a clean car. I keep a really clean car. My point is, is that he can clean it with bleach, but every crevice, every nook, think about even the crevices between the steering wheel, you know, your steering wheel and your horn and airbag, everything everything and there's no way unless he completely burned that interior and replaced it with a new one could you get rid of everything and we know that the police took pieces of that interior we i forget which things i think a panel maybe a tire like a pedal like cover something like that i forget what all they took but my point is that uh you know if you're going to commit a crime like this you don't want to do it in your car yeah you don't you're going to leave something behind you're going to leave something behind whether you think you do or not no it's facts i mean it's sand even it's glitter, fellas, we, you, we all know that. When we've gone to a strip club, we didn't want to get caught. Suddenly there's glitter somewhere. And your girl goes, Where, where's, were you at a strip club? No, babe, I wasn't. What's up with the glitter? You know what I mean? So I went to, I went to Michael's. 
<laughs> Suddenly, got some I just wanted glitter. glitter. You know, I just wanted to jazz up my life today. You know, get a yeah. get a, a bedazzler or something like that. But I lost the Elmer's glue. Yeah, <laughs> but that but that is that is very big facts right there. I mean, you can clean your car thoroughly as all get out, but there's always going to be some remnant of something in there. That's one thing I do want to point out though. Before we wrap up, I, I'm assuming this is like a part one. I guess. There were no traces of blood going out of the house during the night of the murders. No traces of blood going out of the house. So this gruesome scene that we talked about, you know, the five, five and a half gallons of, of blood, basically, and separated in two different rooms, the gruesome view of this, of this crime scene, you're telling me that he didn't drag any of the, that while he was walking out the door? It just doesn't make sense to me at all. There's only a small little van's blood footprint, bloody footprint that was found right by the the uh, the stairwell leading up to Maddie and Kaylee's bedrooms. But that's it. No blood going out of the house. No blood going down the street. No nothing. Well, I think he was covered. I think he covered himself. I think that's what the black clothing was. And we don't know, know what he had on underneath it. He could have been wearing a hazmat suit. He could have been showing up in there looking like Dexter. But still, then before he left the house, shoved it in a bag. Him leaving the house, there's still going to be drip, drippage. There's still going to be something, right? Because he's got to take it off somewhere. Unless he took it off in, in the, the, room. the rooms. In one of the yeah. rooms. But still, there's a debate on whose room was the last room he went to and all that. You know what I mean? So that's one piece that Xanus. is still... That's yeah, true, but uh, yes, that's what they're saying. But some people, are, there are people who are saying that maybe Kaylee and, and and Maddie's room was the last. It's been flipped around so many different ways. But you take it, but, but you take it off. You turn it inside out, shove it into a garbage bag, shove it into a bag or wherever you know, right? And and leave. Bring a change of shoes. That's that's. But that's if you're really taking your time. Let's not forget that. It's not like he was just who, sauntering in and out of the didn't. place. People think, but who said, here's the thing, people think that 15, 20 minutes is not that much time and in the scheme of things it's not, but you need moments to kill people with a knife. Moments. True. You could, you could have those two, those two people's lives gone within two minutes. But you got to remember. You have, at least you 10, 15 minutes to change. The, but the thing is, is that when you look inside the house, there's only a footprint. Like there's yeah. only a partial footprint and that's it. So he traveled. He still had to do murder in one room, go down or upstairs somewhere and go into the other room and murder into the other room. And you're telling me there was no drippage, no trails of blood anywhere? Anywhere? Whilst he's... Well, you're telling me he, he brought in two hazmat suits, changed after he killed two know. people? You see what I'm saying? Maybe. So that's one thing I'm curious about. The guy literally would sit in his home in Pennsylvania with rubber gloves and separate his garbage into... Ziploc baggies is that's, that's a good is point. It, good point. Is there being two hazmat suits? Is that out of the question? I mean, really? Yeah, probably not. The guy's not an idiot. He he's he's obviously yeah. you know to make it to, look. We don't have to like him. We don't have to do it. But you got to get credit for to make it to the PhD level. You cannot be at least book smart wise. You can't be stupid. Yeah, he's, he's, he's he, you know idiot yeah. savant. And you and I aren't criminals, so no. we don't know what it's like to plan a murder and i mean you know dexter morgan granted fictional got away with a lot of murder for a long time so as kill rooms and i'm just saying i will find out the police probably know we don't know yeah that's we'll true. find out 
And I guess that's then that's a good place to end on. So this we will call it a part one because there will eventually be a trial. We don't know when. And then we can have a part two after that. But what I will say though is because this is still ongoing, I am covering it on on TikTok and Pascal's covering it on YouTube. And so definitely give if you don't follow if you're listening to this, you probably follow me already, but give him a follow. If you don't follow me, well, please give me a follow also. And um but I do want to say thank you so much for coming today. You have been of course. great to have on the show. I really appreciate it. And you've had me on your show a few times, and so I'm glad that I can kind of finally finally kind of repay that a little bit. Oh, um, yeah. Appreciate it, man. So, Always a good time. Me? Always a good yeah, time. Absolutely. Anything yeah. else you want to say before we, uh, we close out? I just hope they have the right guy. I feel like everything is lined up to make it look like this is, this is the guy, but you never know. Anything's possible. There may be a big plot twist here soon. But at the same time, there's just too much leaning towards that they got the guy. But uh, yeah, but you're right. They got a lot of evidence. They know the storyline, or at least the state knows the storyline. So hopefully we find this find out soon. And I know a lot of us are chomping at the bit, wanting to know what actually happened in that house, you know? So hopefully we find out soon. Not in 2026 so. or something crazy, you know? Yeah, well, we'll we'll keep we'll keep an eye on it. I think that it's going to be quiet for a little bit, but there's a lot of evidence to go through, and I don't think they want this on their radar that long. They know people want answers, and they know the family wants justice, and everybody deserves that. Yeah. So, all right, guys. Well, thank you all so much for listening, and we will see you again for the next episode next month. Thanks. Bye. Bye.